I suppose so. And Hebrews chapter 12 in the scriptures. What's that? Oh, you brought it. Man, that's a good wife. I'll take it. No, it's all right. Then just, just stay there. It's fine. It's fine. You're still a good wife, though. Don't worry. Okay. Hebrews uh, chapter number 12 in the scriptures. And uh, our study in, in Hebrews is, has brought us to the second to last chapter in the book. It's hard to believe we're getting close to the end. And I've enjoyed this study in Hebrews and uh, particularly a uh, very needful message uh, in this text that we're going to read here tonight. Why don't, why don't we read it first and we'll pray and we'll get into what God has for us here. Hebrews chapter 12 starting in verse 3. If you're there, say amen. And uh, there is an outline on the back table. If you didn't get one, you can feel free to stand up and go get one if you'd like. Um, uh, not a lot of scripture in there, but just give you an outline of the direction we're taking with the text tonight. Uh, verse number three, the Bible says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God deal with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons." Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And boy, what a needful and relevant passage of Scripture this is for us today. Let's pray and ask God to speak to our hearts through it in these moments in the Scriptures. Father, uh, we once again come before you, and as we open the Word tonight, we need you to teach us by your Spirit. We need you to work in our hearts and show us where we need to grow. Show us where we're wrong, that we might get it right. And show us the direction that you would desire us to go. I pray that we would be willing to have attentive ears to the truth of your word and open hearts that we might make decisions of faith uh, that will lead us forward for your glory. And God, I pray that you'll use this text in particular in every person's life the way exactly they need it. And I just pray that you would uh, use me to be able to communicate what you have taught me from your word and perhaps even some things you haven't. Uh, just bring out your truth in the only way that you can, and we pray uh, these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Our study in Hebrews has revealed one paramount truth to us uh, that we have heard repeated in this book time and time again, and that truth is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. We found from chapter 1 and the prophets and the angels into chapter 2, we found out he's better than any man that ever existed, including for these Hebrews, the likes of some of their greatest hero, heroes, Moses and Joshua and Aaron. We found out that he has a better 
high priesthood, a better priesthood that extends to us a better covenant, a new covenant, not made by the blood of shed uh, the shed blood of animals, but by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This new covenant Jesus has established is administered in a better sanctuary, and all made possible by a better sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ Himself once for all to give us eternal salvation, and this foundational doctrinal truth which we've discovered over the past two years um, uh, written to these Hebrew believers in the book of Hebrews was given to them uh, as a challenge for them to believe and to accept and to live in light of these truths. At the end of chapter 10, we discovered that God said, now that you know these things are true, why don't you take advantage of them? Why don't you live by faith? Don't go back to Judaism. Don't go go back to your religion. Don't go back to living by works to think that God will accept you by your works. Trust in the finished work of Christ. Live by faith now in this day and time and what Jesus has done for you. And to show them what that type of faith looks like, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 was written which is an illustration of multiple people who live their lives by faith. And what a joy that was to study that chapter of Scripture. And then when we come to chapter 12, a couple weeks ago when we looked at this, it's all brought to a head in one great grand application where the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with this great cloud of witnesses, this great group of people who walk by faith before us, let us now run our race with patience. It's time for us to live by faith in what Jesus has done for us. And these believers were being challenged to go on. They were being challenged to run their own race of faith. And uh, that's significant here. But notice what he goes to say next in verse 3 after all these things. Again, he says in verse 3, after he tells them to look unto Jesus in verse 2, then he says, for consider him. Who? Jesus. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. Hey, as you run your race of faith, as you live the Christian life, quickly, you're going to discover it's not always very easy to do so. How many of you have ever tried to run? Maybe three miles, 100 yards, you know, you got to start somewhere, okay? All right. If you run distance, for any amount of distance, when you start, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. But boy, you start going for a while, and eventually it gets worse. Now, if you go long enough, you get your second wind, and it's not so bad again. Um, uh, but uh, if you ha- had any experience of running, uh, sometimes you'll come to a point in your run where, boy, I don't want to go down that road because I know if I go down that road, there's that hill on that road, and I don't want to run up that hill. All right? If you're a runner, you understand what I'm talking about. And uh, so those types of things are the things that you think about when you're running. As you're running through your life, your, your life of faith, your race of faith, um, it's not always easy, the race of faith. It's not a bed of roses. And, uh, you know, in fact, I would say this, after you get over the hype, after you, a lot of people, when they first start running their race, they just want to run so fast. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to read the whole Bible, and I want to figure everything out. And, by the way, that's awesome. It's not bad. I love that zeal. But uh, uh, I'm ashamed to say it, but it's true for all of us, that zeal can very quickly fade away, especially when hard times come, and they do come. 
As long as we're living in this world, they will come. And so the Christian race of faith is not always easy. And there is really only one thing that will keep you from throwing in the towel. There's really only one thing that'll keep you from quitting. A lot of people, they, they start running and they gain a lot of speed, but boy, they get tired and they're done. You don't see them in church anymore. They don't, they don't read their Bible anymore. They, they, they got wore out and they fizzed out fast. And I tell you, the thing that will keep you motivated in running your Christian race is not a church, okay? It's not your character. It's not a lot of things that we often attribute. It's Jesus. The Bible says in verse 2, look to Jesus, and then verse 3 begins to challenge us to consider Christ. And I want to preach to you tonight on that subject, considering Christ. Because it is only in considering Christ that we can run the race of faith to the end that God has given us to run. And, but here's the question that we need to consider. How will cons- uh, considering Jesus keep you in the running of your race of faith? How is considering Jesus going to keep you motivated, keep your feet moving, uh, keep your faith going, no matter what you face in your Christian life? Just considering Jesus. Why is that so significant? Why is considering Jesus something that is given to us here as a solution to keep us going in our race of faith? Why is this so important? Tonight I want us to notice uh, four reasons you need to consider Jesus today. And number one, if you're taking notes this, mo- this evening, uh, the first reason you need to consider Jesus today is because it will keep you from becoming fatigued. It'll keep you from getting weary, in other words. It'll keep you from becoming fatigued. Verse number three, the Bible says, For consider Jesus, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be what? Wearied. Weary. How many of you have ever been weary? Well, physically speaking, yes. All right, some of you are weary tonight. Your, your head's starting to bow. Your eyes are starting to close. All right, we're not at the invitation yet. So, hello, welcome back. Thank you. But um, uh, we all have points in times physically when we start to get weary. Let me say, Jesus is the great motivator um, that will keep us going even during the seasons of life when we would come to a place where we get weary like this. And I want us to think about the phrase, consider him, first before we move on. That word, consider, in the Greek, um, is a word that I won't even try to pronounce for you right now because I am no Greek scholar, okay? But it is a long Greek word (laughs) that means that we're supposed to take full note of him. To take full note of him. To take full account of him. Um, Considering him is not just when I get tired saying, Jesus, will you help me? That's, that, that, that's, not, that's not what considering him is talking about. Considering him is you dwell on Jesus and what he has already done before you. The Bible says that we're to consider um, uh, him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Listen, when it comes to living the Christian life, there is no better example of it than Jesus. Christian, it means the Christ-like ones. Who are we supposed to be like? Christ. Okay, it all points back to him. The Bible says he's the author 
and finisher of our faith. He's our example, and he's also our enabler. He's the one that showed us how to live the Christian life, and he's the one that empowers us to live the Christian life. It all goes back to Jesus Christ, and the Bible says that we're supposed to consider him because he's the one that blazed the trail for us. He's the one that set the uh, the pace for us in this race. He's the one that's given us the power to run in this race. It all goes back to Jesus. And we look, when we look at the life of Jesus, we're considering the one who endured. And when you get weary, you don't want to endure anymore. You don't want to keep on going. But he endured, and what he endured was such contradiction, opposition, rebellion of sinners against himself. I'll say this, Jesus faced, was faced with opposition from the forces of darkness unlike anything that you and I will ever experience when we walk through this earth. And get this, he was victorious. I'm going to tell you something, there's nothing you'll go through in this life, I don't care how wearisome you may get, there's nothing that you will go through in this life that you can experience victory over too in Jesus Christ. And as you consider Christ and all that he faced and yet he came back out victorious, boy, that ought to encourage your heart today to realize we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, the Bible says. And give you a little strength in the midst of your weariness today. And so the Bible says consider him unless you become, you come to a place where you get wearied. And uh, that word wearied, it gives the idea of um, giving up. It gives the idea of getting worn out. Now, I think we all can relate with this fact that when we get tired as human beings, we do a lot of dumb things. Okay, how many of you are, you get tired and you get slap happy when you get tired? Anybody like that? Yeah, okay, yeah. A little slap happy, some of you get that way. How many of you get really grumpy when you get tired? Point to the person that gets grumpy when they get tired. Yes, there you go. All right, some of you are pointing to yourself. At least you're honest, okay? And uh, so that's good. Uh, but some of the dumbest decisions I have ever made in my life, I made when I was tired. And I was worn out. Sometimes in running this race of faith, it's easy to get worn out. When you get worn out, sometimes when you make the dumbest choices that you ever make in your life. And that's why it's important that we take time to consider Jesus when we get weary. Um, lest we uh, faint. We'll learn about that in just a moment. And uh, so the Bible tells us here that Jesus has gone on before us. He has set the pace for us. And now his example encourages us to remember that through him we can keep going too. If he endured such contradiction of sinners against himself... Then, then, friend, you and I can keep on going, too, in the midst of whatever we're facing. Um, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. That's what we're reminded when we consider, when we think about Christ and, and the, the trail that he has blazed for us. And so, considering Christ will keep you from becoming fatigued. But number two this evening, I want you to note down, considering Christ will keep you from becoming faint. From becoming faint. Um, look at verse 3 again. The Bible says, uh, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. And at the end of the verse it says, lest you become faint in your minds. Or I should say, lest you faint in your minds. Not become faint, but lest you faint in your minds. And so another reason given here that you need to consider Jesus today 
is because if you don't do so, you'll get to the point where you will faint. Now, what in the world is the Bible talking about when it mentions the word faint here? Well, it's the, it's the Greek word ekluo, and it literally means to get exhausted. I think we understand that. Here's another definition, to get burnt out. Now, getting burnt out is different than getting weary. You can be tired but not be burnt out, all right? Um, we've all experienced that when we got VBS tired. You know what VBS tired is during the summer when we get down to all VBS? Uh, I'm always excited after VBS is over. I don't want to do it again, but I wouldn't say I'm burnt out. There's a difference between those two things. But fainting has the idea of just falling down in exhaustion, of getting, you don't have any more strength to go on. You're not just tired. You can't go on. You are done. You are burnt out. That's the idea of getting faint. And if you're weary long enough, you will eventually burn out. Okay? Uh, That's the idea indicated here. And so uh, the place where the Bible says you grow faint spiritually, where, where does it say at the end of the verse? Lest you faint where? In your minds. This is where you grow faint spiritually. Okay? It's not talking about physical exhaustion here. It's talking about you becoming burnout here and here. And don't miss this illustration. The, the word for mind is the Greek word psyche, okay? And I'm sure you've heard about psyche before. It's where we get our idea of psychology from, okay? Uh, the, the, the Greek word psyche, it literally speaks of your soul, It's talking about your emotions. It's talking about your feelings. It's talking about your desires. Um, It's talking about the the part of you that really makes you you. That's your soul. And the part where you get weary, if you don't consider Christ in your uh, Christian race, is you you begin to faint in your soul. You begin to get get burnt out in your soul. Uh, the, the scripture calls it your mind here. And I say to you, there, there comes a point in your Christian life where if you are giving out more than you are getting in, you will eventually faint. And I have experienced this more times than I would like to admit. All right? Um, as a pastor, especially early on, okay, I had to learn some hard lessons, but especially early on, when you're giving out a lot, listen, I came from being a youth pastor. I would preach once a week and do a Sunday school class once a week. I ran the bus routes and did all that stuff. All of a sudden, I come to this church, and I knew God had called me to come here, but it was preaching three times a week. And the Sunday school, the Sunday school teacher, the first, day, the, fir- the first week I showed up, said, Hey, uh, you're here now, so why don't you teach Sunday school class? And I thought, all right, great. I was excited to do it all. I taught a Sunday school class, and, and uh, then there was a, a, a helping out in the school and preaching chapels in the school, and we taught a Bible class every day at that point in too, and time, and I remember going through all that, and boy, it was like six months into being here, and I was tired. I had preached every message I had ever written, and honestly, I, that wasn't because I wanted to, it was because I didn't know how to get all that stuff ready. Uh, to be able to preach. So I, I was writing new messages, but boy, I was like, well, I, I don't have time to write all these messages, and so I'm, I'm going to preach all these old messages. And uh, boy, I'd gotten to that point, and I just had to take a, a, take a break because I tell you, I got to a point when I was starting early on to get burnt out. And I thought, what in the world? And, you know, I, I, I think of, of layman pastors. I don't know how they do it. 
Uh, Vince did it for a little while. My buddy Kyle, he works two jobs, okay? Uh, one full-time, one part-time. He does design work to try to make ends meet as well. And then he pastors. Preaching three messages a week, I don't know how they do that. But here's, here, here's the emphasis. I was giving out a lot. I was preaching, I was teaching, I was counseling, but what I realized wasn't happening is that I wasn't taking time to get in what I needed. Early on, I took on a habit of my sermon writing was my devotions because I didn't know how else to find time to get it all done. And I began to realize if I'm just preparing to be able to feed other people, I'm eventually going to die from exhaustion and starvation. And begin to realize, if I don't take time to consider Christ, for me, I'm not going to have anything to give to anybody else. I believe that's the illustration that's given to us here. You better consider him. You'll come to the place that you'll get burnt out. You'll get exhausted. You can't go on. And it's an important lesson that I learned early on in, in pastoring, and I hope, hope that's a help to you as well. Now, how do you, get, how do you keep yourself from getting to such a place of fainting? Well, the answer in the verse is consider Jesus. Now, don't lose your place in Hebrews 12, but go, go back to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number 40. This is fantastic. Isaiah chapter 40, I believe, gives us uh, a, a, another um, perspective on how to get strengthened when you become weak as a child of God. Isaiah chapter 40, and let's read starting in verse number 28. If you're there, say amen. The Bible says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not, neither is weary? There's no search of his understanding. God doesn't get tired. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, verse 29, he gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases their strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. Read the last verse with me, verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And there you go. Wait on the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. If you're getting uh, to the place where you're, you feel like you're getting burned out in your Christian race, you need to take some time at the feet of Jesus. You need to take some time considering Jesus. Because, hey, if you don't consider Jesus, you're going to get weary. You're going to get fatigued. If you don't consider Jesus, you're going to get faint. And the Bible's giving us some wonderful counsel here. Jesus is all you need to go on. He is all that you need. You don't, you don't need a self-help seminar, okay? Um, you don't need to quit your job. You don't need to, uh, well, I, I, just, I just feel like I need to quit doing everything and just take some time for me. You don't need me time. You need Jesus time. You're getting tired in your Christian race. You need to take some time to consider him. Uh, Jesus said in, to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You feel weak? Good. Then I can give you my strength. 
Um, you feel like you don't have the strength to carry on? Well, good. That's when I do my best work. That's what Jesus says. And so turn to him in your race of life today. And so considering Jesus, reasons we need to consider Jesus, it'll keep you from becoming fatigued. It'll keep you from becoming faint. Number three, it'll keep you from being fooled. It'll keep you from being fooled. Bamboozled. Snookered. However you want to put it, okay? Fooled. Um, Verse number four. Let's read it out loud together. Hebrews chapter 12, verse four. Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now at this point, Uh, the author of Hebrews pointedly states to these believers that they had not gone so far as shedding their own blood for their faith. This is significant that he brings this up here at this point in the scripture because he had just written to them about the hall of faith. And he had just written to them about some men and women who had had their lives taken who had had their blood shed for the sake of their faith. And what was going on here is essentially these Hebrew believers began to get to a place where they started to face a little persecution from the, from the Jews who said, well, you're not following the tabernacle system anymore and, and uh, you're believing in this Jesus stuff. And they began to get some rejection from some of their families and some of their communities. And, and they thought, boy, this is hard. This is horrible. And they thought, boy, no, no other Christian has had to have it as bad as we've got it. And they began to get this woe is me mentality. And Paul, looked, Paul wrote to them straight up and he told them, hey, you think you got it bad? Have you had to have your life taken from you and your Christian race? Have you resisted unto blood? Have you really got, do you think you have it as bad as you really do? And began to get them to think, and you know it's easy in your Christian race to get to a place where you have that woe is me mentality. Well, nobody has had to face the rejection that I've had to face. Well, nobody has had to deal with the husband that I have to deal with. Nobody's had it this bad. Uh, nobody has had to work at the type of job that I have to work at. Nobody has had to, uh, uh, had to maintain their faith uh, in, the, in the face of such an addiction as I have. Truth is, there's been a lot of people that probably have faced exactly what you're facing. The truth is, you don't have it near as bad as what other people have. And at the top of the chain is Jesus. No one's had to endure what he has endured for you and I. And that's why we need to go back to Jesus. Um, and boy, we could go down the line and talk about heroes of the faith. Um, we don't have time to do it tonight, but you just go back and read chapter number 11 of Hebrews where it talks about people being sawed in half for their faith. It talks about people being drowned. Uh, there were people throughout Christian history who have been buried alive. They would tie weights around their ankles, drive them out into the middle of the ocean and throw them into the water, and they would just sink to the bottom and die just because they were Christians. We want to have a pity party because somebody picks on us at work. The apostle's writing to us here and telling us, grow up. It ain't always easy. You don't got it as bad as, as, bad as you think you got it. And uh, lest you be fooled, you need to consider Jesus. 
and what he has gone through for us. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you want to turn over there, you can. Uh, We'll be right back in Hebrews uh, chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to notice what the Bible says here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you're there, say amen. In verse number 13, the Bible says, There hath no temptation, there's no trial that you will go through, no temptation taken you, but such as is what? Common to man. I don't think anybody's had to go through something like this. Wrong. (laughs) You'll never have something happen to you that isn't common. Somebody else has already been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, okay? Um, No temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation... Uh, also make a way to escape that ye may be able to what? To bear it. God, hey, uh, I wouldn't say it this way. I used to say God won't give you more than you can handle. I think that's a lie, okay? Um, God won't give you more than he can handle through you. That's what this verse teaches. God won't give you more than he'll give you the ability to be able to handle. And uh, that's an important thing for us to realize. And listen, sometimes the Christian race gets hard, but don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap good spiritual things. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap negative bad things the Bible talks about. And friend, if you just keep running your race and doing what God has told you to do, hey, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. God's going to give you the second wind. He's going to give you the strength to make through the part of the race you're running through. Don't throw in the towel because you think you've got it worse than everybody else. Just look to Jesus. Considering Jesus will help you. It'll keep you from being fatigued. It'll keep you from becoming uh, faint. It'll keep you from being fooled. But the final thing I want you to see this evening is that looking to Jesus, uh, considering Jesus, I should say, will keep you from becoming forgetful. It'll keep you from becoming forgetful. Verse number five, the Bible says, and ye have what? Uh Uh-oh. You have forgotten the exhortation or the encouragement which speaks unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Hey, if you don't consider Jesus like verse five is telling us to do, you will become forgetful that it is through the difficulties that you face that he wants to teach you to trust him. See, what we do as human beings is we resent the difficulties. We resent the hard times that God allows in our life. We want to ask him, why are you doing this to me, God? When we don't understand that it is the very difficulties that God allows us to go through life that he desires to use to bring us closer to him and to make us more like him. And that is what this whole teaching on chastening has to uh, communicate to us here in the scripture. And uh, you need to keep your eyes on Jesus unless you become forgetful of the fact Uh, that he is using all the difficulties and trials and hardships that you're going through in your life on your race of faith to conform you more into his image. I believe when I got saved that I was 100% sanctified. I was set apart for the use of the master. But I also believe 
that as I'm living in this world, in a practical way, I am being sanctified. The Lord is working through the circumstances of my life to set apart areas of my life that I'm holding on to, sinful areas, worldly areas, areas that aren't like Jesus. He's chipping away at them and conforming me more and more into the image of his son. And listen, God wants to use those hardships to train you. The whole idea of chastening, the word chastening, it has the idea of child training. That's the literal connotation of the word. It's chastening. And uh, uh, we forget that sometimes in the midst of the hardships of the race of faith that we run. That God's training us. He's teaching us like he was doing for Joseph this morning. God was preparing him through the good and bad things he faced as a young man for the future purposes God had for him. That's what God's doing for us, even through the circumstances that you're facing today. God's training you. He's teaching you to trust him a little bit more than you did before. And listen, if you think that you're above chastening, then you're better than Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, Go to... uh, Uh, Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 7. Let me make sure I got my reference right here. Hebrews chapter 5. If you're there, say amen. In verse number 7, yes, it says, Who in the days of his flesh, it's speaking of Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he what? Obedience by the things which he what? Suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that now obey him. Now, this is interesting. Jesus learned obedience. Did Jesus suffer? Unquestionably so. One of the most paramount moments where we see the suffering of Christ illustrated is in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus got on his knees and began to pray, Father, if it be possible, deliver me. And he talked about the cup. He was talking about bearing the sin of the whole world. Deliver me from having to do that. But what did he say after that? Nevertheless, if you know it, say it with me, not my will, but, ooh. He learned obedience through the things which he Suffered. Now he was perfect. But he did all that as an example for you and I. That we could follow in his steps. His enduring of suffering teaches us how we're supposed to endure the same thing. He was a son who was chastened by his father. We look at chastening in a bad sense. Training is a good thing. If you don't train Junior, you're going to be sad with how he turns out. But training is a good thing. And even Jesus showed us this example. And as we consider Jesus and how uh, even he went through times of suffering through which he learned obedience, hey, you and I, as we run our Christian race, that encourages us to realize God's training me too. And I'm not going to resent it 
nor am I going to resist it. Instead of, instead of that, I'm going to submit to it. God, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to learn through what you're doing in my life right now? And boy, there's so much to this, and we're not going to have time to, to get into all of this here tonight, and so I won't even uh, start to cover uh, the second part of this here. But let me say this, considering Christ's example, it brings perspective to the difficulties you may be facing today. That's what it does. It brings a new perspective to the difficulties you may be facing today because God is using all the circumstances of your life to teach you to trust him against your own will. In the same sense, God may allow something to happen in your life to teach you, like Jesus, to say, not my will, but thine be done. From the time our kids were little, we would take little things to start training them. Little things. Um, like a, a spoon on the table. And we'd set them right on our lap, and we put that spoon right there. Sometimes people come over and they say, now move that spoon farther away. You know they're just going to try to grab it. No. That spoon stand right there. And that kid of mine ain't going to touch it or they're going to get some training. I'm not being mean by doing that. I want them to learn to be respectful. I remember when I was a kid that dad was always so insistent that we respond Immediately. We didn't respond immediately. It was this, there was, a, there was a, uh, a scale, okay? It started with Bruce, okay? And there was, Bruce Michael! And I knew it was getting real serious. Maybe we went to the last one. Bruce Michael Bergen! Uh, it was over. It was over, okay? Uh, especially if mom did that, okay? I think all of us have probably experienced that a little bit. I always wondered why, why, was he so, why was he so adamant about responding to his commands. Well, we lived on a very busy highway. And uh, I, know, I, I know now that one of the reasons Dad wanted us to be able to respond quickly is if we were in danger, he wanted us to listen to him so he could protect us. That's why that child training is important. And you know God is uh, using the circumstances, both the good and the bad circumstances of your life, to train you, to chasten you. Don't despise chastening. It's a good thing. God's using it to make you more like him, and we're going to study this more next week. But it's a good thing, this chastening. And you ought not resent it as a child of God. We're going to learn, and I'll just give you a brief summary of it. God chastens the ones that he loves, okay? Um, God chastens, uh, God only chastens his own kids, okay? You might want to chasten someone else's kids, I think we've all been there before, okay? But uh, you don't. And God only chastens his own kids, okay? And the reason uh, for the chastening is to um, change you, okay? Um, we might call it an attitude adjustment. Uh, God wants to give an adjustment. He wants to make adjustments in our life. We're not where we should be. He wants to make us more like him in how we think, how we live, and he uses chastening to do it. Listen, chastening, don't miss this, is not punishment. Chastening is training. And this is where people who are ultra grace get it wrong on this. Listen, they say, well, 
There's no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So I just believe that, uh, that God, would never, God would never condemn me for anything that I do in my life. And they're right. But chastening is not condemnation. Nor is it punishment. Jesus was punished for your sins on the cross. Chastening is training. I don't consider it punishment when my young daughters tried to reach for the socket on the wall, the, 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 the uh, electric socket on the wall, and I'd smack their hand. Now, they might cry, but I'm not punishing them. I'm protecting them. I'm training them. We oftentimes would do that. They try to touch them. Most kids do it. They say, well, I need to childproof my house. We don't childproof our house. All right? Um, we train our children to not do certain things. And that's what God does with us, too. But it's not punishment. It's a good thing. And uh, lest you uh, get to a place where you think, well, I, uh, I don't think that God chastens me, or I don't think I've ever been chastened of the Lord. Um, if God doesn't discipline you, then you're not saved. We're going to learn that next week. So be careful about how you think about this thing. The point that we're getting at here tonight is that you need to consider Jesus. Consider him lest you become fatigued. Consider him lest you become faint. Consider him lest you be fooled by your own uh, uh, thinking in your mind. And consider him lest you become forgetful. Forgetful that what God is allowing you to go through today, he's using to train you, to trust him more, to train you to be a little more like him, a little more what he wants you to be. That's why we need to consider Jesus. And as you run your Christian race, don't lose sight of Jesus. As you run your Christian race, don't ever get to a place where you don't take time to consider Jesus, to take full account of Jesus, what he has done, what he is doing, because that's the key. That's the key that'll keep you going, considering Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together.